Last week as we started the series Irresistible, talked about the simplicity of uh, Christianity. That this group of people a couple thousand years ago gathered themselves together and, and with a very simple and tight laser focused message that they believed defined hope. Practically speaking, what hope could look like in the lives of people, that something had happened such that people could hope that their past would no longer define them, that the words spoken, the actions done, the things said would no longer define them. They could be defined by something far bigger, that the past in many ways could be wiped away and redeemed. Hope that the spark within them, that those moments of, of, of passion, believe that I could be more than what it seems. And hope that, in fact, at the heart of this, a relationship with God could be had. That they were made for that. And that it was alive. Captivated by that simple message that propelled hope, they were on fire. And people were drawn to them like a magnet. Today we turn and focus on the central belief of Christianity that provides the heart of that irresistible power. And that is this, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. See, what happened for those, that group of people, when I say the early church, all it was was a bunch of people right after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And they gathered together around a simple concept, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that changed everything. And it's a historical fact that a, a, you know, a couple of days after he, he died, something happened to this group of people. So what we're going to explore today is that simple concept that is the core of Christianity, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, as we do this, we do a couple of different things. If you look at the screen today, our screens are normally background. It's background, but it's more. And this, is a, this right here is a comp, it's called a frequency analysis. And it's basically you tag different uh, words or concepts within some media and then it spits it out, and it spits it out the biggest words are the words that show up the most. And so, frequency analysis. This is a compilation of everything we talk about today, but we're going to get specific. And one of the specifics is the next background you're going to see is a frequency analysis done on the passage 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 15, and Titus 2.11, or Titus 2, which are two pastors we're using today. And it, the frequency analysis gives that helpful centering. At the heart of Christianity is God raised Christ from the dead. Baboon. And I'm going to read this passage to you from Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, he weighs in to a group of early followers and says, I, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember what's of prime importance and what is the core belief of Christianity. And this is what he writes. Now, brothers, I want to remind you the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in fame. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Paul would say, okay, it's really important. Core 
prime importance, the central belief in this belief system of Christianity as that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He would believe this so passionately that later on in this, in this chapter, this is what he would say, he'd say, you know, there are some who were saying that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, nobody gets raised from the dead, and he said, that's a problem. See, he says, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, if, and if we've only believed in Christ for this life, then we are among all men most to be pitied. You know, he, he doesn't bandy words about. He says, of prime importance is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. <clears throat> so this is what we're going to do today. As we look at this, I'm going to boil down the, the doctrine of Christianity, the belief of Christianity, into one concept: Jesus was raised from the dead. And we're going, to, we're going to look at that, first of all, sort of at, the, at that, the, the stunning position, the stunning belief that Christianity holds out, which is that if you believe this, sort of everything else becomes believable. I mean, really. You know, water dividing, you know, people getting healed, water turning into wine. If Jesus was raised from the dead, all the rest of it sort of is not that big a deal. Because I want you to understand what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Jesus was was dead. Like, dead, dead. Not sick, not unconscious, not mostly dead, not getting better. He was dead. Not swooning, not fainting. He was dead. No pulse, no breath, no heartbeat, sword poked in his side, wrapped up in clothes, put in the tomb for two days, dead. And then he got up. He didn't get up for a little while. He didn't start to feel better for a few days and then die. He was dead. And then he was alive. Now this, I would say, is unusual. <laughs> By any standard, this is, a, this is an unusual occurrence. Let's not take this lightly. Now this is, this is out of the ordinary. It's the heart of the Christian faith. He was dead, and then he was alive. Without this central belief, Christianity just sort of fades into moralism and a vague religiosity. It, it, it fades into the golden rule, which is a good rule. That's why it's golden. You know, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Without the resurrection of the dead, that's the heart of Christianity. But it's not the heart of Christianity. It's a nice rule. The truth is, when Jesus said that, it wasn't like people were you know, jotting it down going, okay, this is how I need to act and then life will go well. What I think he really wanted us to say is, yeah, that's how you're supposed to act. But do you know how little you do? Do you know how, do you know how little you follow the golden rule? He wanted us to be caught up short not to write down better rules for living 101. Apart from the resurrection of the dead, Christianity is vague moralism. So what we're going to explore is why it's so important, why that is the core and the transforming power of that. The second thing we're going to look at, though, we're going to come back to that in a minute. The second thing we're going to look at, though, if this is the core belief of Christianity, if it's of prime importance, and it's the thing that empowers our lives so that we have it within our soul, 
Well, at the same level, it's also a place where a skeptic could most weigh in and go, really? That's what you believe. I just got to get this straight. Your life is founded on the fact that a Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago was dead and then he rose from the dead. I'm just trying to get it straight. Really? That's crazy. Why would you believe that? See, if last week the question was, is Christianity relevant for my life? You know, does it fit my life? This week, is it relevant for my brain? <laughs> does it fit my brain? And at some level, what it, I'd have you know, just you know, just you know where I'm coming from. It, I, although I understand that position, I, I came into Christianity well, maybe differently than than some of you did. In that, I came into Christianity first intellectually. I was compelled intellectually. It took me a long time to move from is it relevant to my brain to do I want to be a Christian? But that's what we want to look at. We're going to look at this core belief of Christianity and why it's so core. Also the issue of, well, but it's a place of great skepticism and then in the end, what's the transforming power of all this? So, anyway. Why is, so why is the resurrection of Jesus so central to our faith? Well, to, to do that, I want to give you two alternate endings to the life of Jesus. Okay, and the first ending to the life of Jesus, okay, there's this guy named Jesus, and um, he, he lives a life that's simply stunning. It's a, it's a beautiful life. And it's compelling to those around him. And he is a teacher with profound insight into the human soul such that people, when they hear him speak, I mean, they just like, wow, he just, he knows exactly who I am. He spoke right to my heart. And, and so he, he is charismatic, and he begins to draw a crowd. He, he has a regional following in a relatively obscure part of the ancient Middle East. He has, he has a following of people who are captivated by him. And they go everywhere he goes, and they listen to him teach, and they watch what he does. And, and but this charismatic leader ruffles some feathers, and the, and the religious and the, and, the, and the political elite power base are a little bit concerned about it because they're afraid that it's getting a little too potent. A little too many followers. This could foment some rebellion. And, and so they, they uh, arrest him and trump up charges and put him to death. And his, his followers are frightened, they're terrified, they go into hiding in hopes that they're not next. Eventually they come out of hiding. They scatter, not to be lumped together as a group of those who followed the person who was crucified. And a few of them for a while hang on to some of his teachings because they were good teachings. Remember the golden rule? A few of them hang on to that. They write a few notes down and he's a footnote in history. There was a guy who, for a brief period of time, had a, in the grand scheme of things, a relatively small following, but he said some decent stuff. He's a footnote in history, and it fades away. Here's another possible ending. There's this guy named Jesus who lived in an obscure portion of the ancient Near East, and he lived a beautiful life. And he spoke with unusual insight into the soul of people such that he gathered a relatively localized regional following of people who listened to his every word. 
But as he gathered this following around him, the political and religious elite became concerned that it might disrupt their power base. And so they took him under arrest and they trumped up charges and they put him to, to death. And his followers were frightened and they were terrified and they went into hiding, hoping they would not be next. And then he rose from the dead. And then he appeared to first a few and then to hundreds. And he spoke a simple message. He said, I want you to take this message into your own heart and I want you to take it out into the world because this is what just happened. I did not come to teach you the golden rule. I came because I am your God and your creator. And your soul was separated from me. You have lived a life apart from me and deep down within you, you know that. That's why my words rang so true. And you could never get back to me and so I came to rescue you. And I went and I laid down my life for you, paying a penalty, a separation. Death is simply a separation. I paid that penalty for you. And I rose from the dead because death cannot hold me. And if you receive it, it can't hold you either. I came and I lived and I died and I rose to give you life. Receive it. And this small band of followers received it. And as they received it, something happened within them. And they couldn't contain it. And they spoke the message to a world that has always longed for hope. That has always wondered if there's something more. And they spoke this message and it rang true to person after person who turned and believed this simple doctrine, this simple truth. And then their lives were changed and they spoke to more and so that it is not a footnote in history. It is arguably the single most important event in history that has influenced societies like no other. And so Paul says, if you forget, if you eliminate this core belief, then there is no salvation for your soul because Jesus died to forgive your sins and he rose so that you wouldn't die in them. This is Christianity. And the power of receiving that reality changes people's lives. Now, I want to come back in a few moments to how that power changes people's lives. But we have to stop and pause for a minute and consider the question of the skeptic. And we consider this question of the skeptic for two reasons. One, because some of you are skeptics, and I mean that in a literal sense. You're, you're looking back and you're going, I don't know. I don't know if I believe this stuff. Dead guy, rising. I also say that because many of us remain skeptics. You know, sometimes we let loose of the core things that we need to know. We forget that the whole of this spiritual journey is founded on a real life, death, and resurrection of a God for us. We forget that the preposterous truth of Christianity is not that some guy turned water into wine, but that God was willing to bleed and die for you and I. And so we approach the question of the skeptic. 
And the truth is, the question of the skeptic doesn't begin with, did Jesus raise from the dead? It begins farther back. It begins with the question, well, is there any sort of God behind this universe, behind this world, behind me? Because here's the thing. If, if there is a God, if there is a creator, if there is somebody who made the world, then, if that's the case, raising somebody from the dead just isn't a big deal. If there's not, then it's somewhere between bizarre and impossible. But if there is, if there is a God who fashioned our world, is, as Francis Schaeffer, a Christian philosopher of years ago, said, if he's there and he's not silent and he speaks into the world, then the resurrection is quite likely. So I want to walk through this a couple of different ways. I, I at some level, honor the question of the skeptic, having been a skeptic for years and still having some of that way of thinking in my head, I understand why people would look at aspects of Christianity and go, really? Not, not sure about that. But it begins at the core belief. Is there a God? Is there a personal God? Or is there not? And at times, the question of the skeptic as their word or the answer of the skeptic to that question, for me personally, leave me a little hollow and they miss an important reality. For, for example, and I, you know, I, I thought about this mes- message a lot, how much I wanted to deliver it to you. I mean, you know, they, there's all sorts of questions I could address, but I'm just going to give you one question raised by a skeptic and what I believe is the, for me, the one most single most powerful reason why I believe that there's a personal God that compelled me to turn and look and see if Jesus was him. One of the answers to the skeptic to the reality of Christianity is look you know maybe in the in, in you know years past when we didn't know anything and we were primitive we needed a God we needed a God to explain things we needed a God to explain the sun we needed a God to explain everything and by even in the 1950s you know we needed a God to explain some stuff but now look we understand the mechanics of life we can't reproduce them but we understand them we sort of can see with a few gaps here and there, but, you know, all, being fair, we, we can see sort of the mechanics of how life might have come to an existence. Uh, how there could be some energy, we're not sure where that came from, it's really, but nobody is. There could be some energy and then maybe lightning hit it and some life started. And, and then from there we can sort of see some mechanics. And if we can understand the mechanics to life, then we don't need God anymore. And while I understand that that skeptical question it, 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 it starts within a presupposition because really here is the thing I understand how Joel and Emily Hopler created those paintings I did does my understanding the mechanics of how they did that in any way have anything to do with whether or not they did it see at some level that question of the skeptic it just sort of misses Understanding the mechanics of life doesn't even really begin to address the question who's behind it. Just because it's possible that I can understand it doesn't really address the core issue. But, but is there? There's, there's lots of mechanics. But is there someone behind there? For my money, 
Here's the core reason why I personally began to believe in God and still do, which led me to look at the person of Jesus as being compelled by him. And I still think it is the most powerful reasoning, intellectually, for why I believe that God is there. And as C.S. Lewis first articulated in, 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 in paper, and I remember that the first time I read that, I was like, yes, that's exactly what I've been thinking. But he said it better in first. And here's what it was. I, you know, the questions I had were, you know, I, when, I get, when I get hungry, there's, I don't get hungry and go, huh, I wonder why I have this desire to eat something. What is that? Why would I have this thing? I have this desire to eat something because there's things to eat. When I go, my mouth is so dry, I wonder what that's about. No, no my mouth is dry because I need water. Because the desire can be quenched. The, the desire actually, there's an innate desire for food and for, for water. Well, then I began to ask the questions, why is it that I have innate desires for other things? What, why do I in my soul long for other things? Why, why when I see beauty, am I captivated by it? Why does that draw me and woo me? Why do I have a desire deep in for, for, for love, for, for connection? Koala bears don't care about love and connection. Why is it that we care? Why is there something within our soul that longs for relationship? Because there's relationship out there to be had. Why is there something within us that feels a deep desire for purpose, for meaning, if there's nothing out there? Why is it that there's this wistful longing for something behind the universe that makes sense of our souls? Really? Natural selection? Natural selection at some level is a you know, relatively brilliant theory. It's got lots of intricate parts. And, but really, my desire for beauty, for love, for meaning, for joy, that comes by a mechanism that makes me better suited to survive? How so? Really, move, move the quick question, oh, better survive. Move that aside. It's like, how so? How does my desire for beauty, what, what does that have to do with survival? I, I would contend to you that sometimes our desire for beauty could get in the way of survival. And then the, the bigger question, why, why when I look at things that happen in the world that, that are wrong, why do I think they're wrong? Not, not that they're not my preference. Why does something within me, when I look at things in my soul or I look at things in the world, where does this resounding sense come? This ought not be. Where comes this desire to see the world righted? Natural selection? What, what, what in the world does that have to do with it? At the core, at the most profound level, there are issues of the soul. Deep, trenchant issues of the soul that are answered only in a personal God who set these things in our heart, these desires, in order to meet them. For me, 
many years ago, that was the point that I began to consider that I had missed something intellectually. That I had missed something deep about the way the world worked. And it was in that context that I picked up a Bible, and you don't really need to know why in this, you know, today. But I picked up a Bible and I read the life of Jesus, and I did so. I was like, "That's it. It's it's resonating. The things I have wondered about, He is speaking to, and something in my heart came alive." You see, you could. And times we need to do this. We need to weigh through the all sorts of questions. But there are questions that are yet unanswered by anything other than a personal God. And they are questions that have plagued, haunted, and made humanity wonder for thousands of years. And they are questions that the life, the teachings, the death and the resurrection of Jesus speak directly to. I think a lot of times the reason that things that keep us from embracing faith are not so much intellectual issues. There there are questions there, but some sort of barrier. Some image that causes us not to wait in. And... um, we're going to show you two other frequency analysis pieces. One of them is the, the tagline that was put in was the word Christian. We put the word Christian into the last three weeks of CNN. And when we did that, this is what we got. We get the political stuff because political stuff is raging. Other than the political stuff and the word Christian and Christianity, which are the tag words, the biggest one is hate well maybe it's just the last three weeks so then we looked at the last year with CNN and this is what we got it's bigger see I I understand that I understand that sometimes it's the barriers surrounding Christianity that make it hard some level that fits what Jesus taught which is that we tend to make a mess of most everything so why not of Christianity as well and it's why we you know we look at our lives and sometimes we say well I'm, I'm a hypocrite and that's absolutely true because at some level we're all hypocrites but the deeper issue the deeper thing to explore is not well I guess we're all hypocritical and I guess I see hate throughout people that say they're Christian the deeper issue is what is the core of the faith and what is Jesus offering you not what things could keep me from believing but what is Jesus offering you and the core message of Christianity is this God saw you he came for you he died for you He raised from the dead to meet those deepest, innate desires of your heart. And having done so, he calls you in. He calls you to wade in and to experience a life that only he provides. 
you know, at Warehouse, we're not simply passionate about people hearing a message, which we are passionate about, but we're passionate about them hearing a message and then having their lives opened up to experience the hope that God calls us to, the actual hope of a relationship with him that deepens our soul and begins to meet the deepest desires. And, and it's for that reason we're offering things like the Wednesday prayer conversations, which start this Wednesday for, four we- Wednesday for four weeks, designed to help you to go deeper in terms of your relationship with God and have that spark in you more come alive. It's why we have a spiritual formation retreat in about a week and a half, designed to explore what it looks like to experience spiritual transformation. But at the core for us at Warehouse, this is what we want to embody. That this simple message so takes hold of our life that the reality that there is hope that was purchased by the love of a God, Big G, who saw you and bled and died for you, this catalyzes our souls to long for others to experience the same thing. To long to wade into the questions of the skeptic. To honor them, to hear them, but to wade in and to bring deeper questions and allow their soul to hear a message of hope that can revolutionize our lives. In the last frequency analysis I'll show you as we, we close is this taken out of John 17, really Jesus' last you know, big speech to his followers. And you see the, the word that just sticks out. He's about, to, he's about to go to the cross. And the word that stick out is the world. The world needs to know that there's hope. The world at your doorstep, the world on your street, the world at your office, the world in the kids' warehouse rooms on the other side of the hall, the world needs to know that there is hope. (coughs) That an astounding thing has happened. That God lived, bled, and died for you. But he raised from the dead to give you life. Now receive it. And live in it. And carry it forward to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, would you open our heart, our eyes, and our souls to hear you speak now. Our our souls are flooded with desires. Desires for more, desires to experience, desires to find beauty and joy and love and peace and we recognize at our best moments that these are true desires that come from you that only you can meet in us and as you begin to meet them in us then we see it in our other relationships and then we share it to a watching waiting and needy world would you in the remainder of this time speak to our hearts and bring this core belief dead set to our mind to our heart and to our soul that new life can continue for some that it can begin we pray in Jesus name Amen we're about to receive communion if the uh, communion servers would come forward um, 